a worthy God, worthy of all of our praise, and we just want to bring our hearts to you this morning. In your word, you say, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And Lord, you invite us, uh, those of us that are weary, they need rest. You're the one that provides the rest. You provide everything that we need, Lord. You're the one that, that fixes the brokenness in our lives. The broken parts, Lord, uh, whatever it may be, Father, you understand each of us so clearly, so intimately, so beautifully, and, and yet sometimes we hold back from you. And may we hold nothing back today. We need you, and we love you, and we praise you, and thank you for meeting with us today. In, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Good morning, everyone. Good morning. And welcome to those of you that are visiting today. And pray that the Lord God ministers by his Holy Spirit to you as we have opened hearts for him. I got a, a kind of a funny little story to share with you before we get started. You know, we sang a couple songs about brokenness and broken pieces and all. And, you know, years ago when our youngest son, he's now uh, 31, but when he was just a little guy, we, at times we'd go out to dinner at a Chinese restaurant and he'd open up his fortune cookie and Jackie would intercept it and pull out the little fortune in there and, and spiritualize it, you know. And <laughs> no, it was great. You know, it's like, oh, Kevin, this one says the Lord loves you and, you know, that kind of thing. Well, it's funny because we were out with our granddaughters maybe a month ago and I opened up mine and, and this is kind of surprising. It said, God can heal a broken heart but he has to have all the pieces. Oh, so, 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 so God's moving, even in fortune cookies, I suppose. Huh? <laughs> oh, goodness, but I thought that was pretty funny. Interesting, unusual. God can speak in any way, can't he? Yeah, family, today we're in Acts chapter 11, and we're studying verses 1 through 18 this morning. The fruit of submission, and what we're going to find as we, we go through this passage of Scripture where we'll see the fruit of Peter the Apostle's obedience in bringing the gospel to the Gentiles. And as we open up chapter 11, remember, the first Gentiles, the gospel's been shared with them. This is about Cornelius and his family. The gospel's been shared, and they've come to Christ. Cornelius, this, this centurion, was gathered together with his family and with certain friends. And God used the Apostle Peter to bring the good news, to bring the gospel, but not before Peter learned a couple of things from God. First, what Peter learned, and that is this, that although the Jews were God's chosen people, that they didn't have a franchise on salvation. And you know what? No church has a franchise on salvation. Jesus saves. And Jesus is available to every single person. He came to save the Jew and Gentile alike. And the second thing that Peter learned was that God is not a respecter of persons. He is not biased. He is not prejudiced. He is love and he's loving to all. And this was monumental at the time, especially in the, in the early church. So important that God's Holy Spirit, he spends a great deal of time in chapter 10 and in chapter 11 sharing this with us. 
He talks about, the Spirit of God talks about the conversion of the Gentiles even more than the account of the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. And Saul became Paul the Apostle, as we know. So after Peter brought the gospel and, brought, and God brought salvation to Cornelius, word began to travel very fast throughout the region from Caesarea that the Gentiles throughout the region of Caesarea and it says that they received the word of truth into their hearts and they were saved. And you know, when a person comes to Christ, and how beautiful this is, there's joy in salvation, isn't there? In fact, in Luke chapter 15, 10, it says, Likewise, I say unto you, there is, a, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repents. Joy in the presence of the angels of God. There's joy in heaven. And when the Gentiles came to Christ, Cornelius and his family and friends, there was joy in heaven, but you know what? There was little joy in Jerusalem. We talked about last week the Jewish attitude toward the Gentiles. It was hostile. And they had their reasons, of course. We're not being critical of that. They had their reasons. They were hostile, but they were also hateful. Upon Peter's return to Jerusalem... The apostles and, and brethren already heard what had happened. The Jews, they were upset. Just like I think about Jonah. Remember when, when God sent Jonah to Nineveh to minister the truth and the Ninevites got saved, much to Jonah's chagrin. In verse 1 of chapter 4 says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. He, he didn't like the Ninevites, but God loved them. And God even used the reluctant Jonah to bring the gospel there, and they got saved. You know, and it's hard for me to imagine that we would become angry or upset when a person comes to Christ. But that's how deep-seated the dislike and the hatred was. But not only were they upset because, because of their salvation, but they were upset with the apostle Peter. They were angry with him because he went to a Gentile home, and that was forbidden. But not only that, he ate a meal with them. He had dinner with them. So this was not very pleasing to the Jewish people. But let's read verses 1 through 18 of, of Acts chapter 11. And it says, And the apostles and brethren that were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter was come up to Jerusalem... They that were of the circumcision contended with him, saying, Thou wentest in to men uncircumcised and did eat with them? But Peter rehearsed the matter from the beginning and expounded it by order unto them, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. A certain vessel descend as it had been a great sheet let down from heaven by four corners, and it came even to me. Upon the which, when I had fastened mine eyes, I considered and saw four-footed beasts of the earth, and wild beasts, and creeping things, and fowls of the air. And I heard a voice saying unto me, Arise, Peter, slay and eat. But I said, Not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean hath at any time entered into my mouth. But the voice answered me again from heaven, What God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. And this was done three times, and all were drawn up again into heaven. And behold, immediately there were three men already come unto the house where I was, sent from Caesarea unto me. And the Spirit bade me go with them, nothing doubting. 
Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we entered into this man's house, speaking of Cornelius' house, and he showed us how he had seen an angel in his house, which stood and said unto him, Send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who shall tell thee words whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them as on us at the beginning. Then, I, then remembered I the word of the Lord, how that he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. For as much then as God gave them the like gift as he did unto us who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, what was I that I could withstand God? And when they heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. What an incredible account. You know, this is the second time this account has been shared. Very similarly in chapter 11, and you might be wondering, well, why is it repeated? You know, we could potentially just gloss over it, just read through it and say, well, this is so, so clearly like Acts chapter 10. Maybe we just ought to read through it and kind of skip over it. But although it's similar, there is a difference that we need to explore, and it's this. In Acts chapter 10, it's written from heaven's perspective as the Holy Spirit of God was illuminating these truths to the Apostle Peter and directing his actions. And at the same time, the Holy Spirit is preparing Cornelius to receive the gospel. Now think about that. God's preparing Peter. Peter, I'm going to give you a message. And at the same time, God says, Cornelius, I'm preparing you to hear the message. And did you ever consider that when you're sharing with someone? If God has sent you to talk to someone and just said, open your mouth and I'm going to fill it, you know, the person he sends you to is also, God is preparing their heart too. It's not a one-sided deal. Understand that. If God be for you, who could be against you? So God's doing the preparation, not only in the Apostle Peter, but also in the household of Cornelius. So in chapter 11, <clears throat> Again, chapter 10, from heaven's perspective. In chapter 11, we're seeing here it's from the Apostle Peter's perspective. And what we see in this chapter is this, and that is that Peter is making it clear that all the events that he recites that we see in chapter 11 are a result of the work of God's Holy Spirit. And upon Peter's arrival back to Jerusalem, there's this, this group of Jews called of the circumcision, and who were they? Well, they, they were Jewish Christians that believed in order to be saved, it wasn't only by grace. They were a very, very legalistic group that said, well, yeah, okay, it's by grace, but also, in order to be saved, you have to go through this rite of circumcision. Well, listen, it is never, let me repeat this, it is never by grace and Never. If someone says, I've been saved by grace and Never. something I did, you say, no, 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 no. It's all by God's grace. In fact, the scriptures tell us very clearly. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, for by grace, do, I, do you see an and in there? No. I, I don't see one. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift, it's a gift of God. It's a gift of God. So clearly, it's never by grace and something else. 
Again, if you hear anybody say, you're saved by grace and something that I've done, know, done, know that it's not scriptural. No. Galatians chapter 5, verse 6, Paul the Apostle said, For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. He said circumcision doesn't mean anything in, this, in, the, in the grand scheme of salvation that God has given to us. Now, verse 2 says they contended with Peter over his involvement in the salvation of Cornelius and the Gentiles. Going into the house of Cornelius and eating with them, set that aside, because verse 18 makes it clear that the Gentiles could be saved, and they're upset with Peter about that. They call him out for what he's done. And the Bible says he contended with him, meaning they took sides against him. And, and clearly, when you, you consider their kind of attack on Peter, they didn't view him as the rock upon which the church was built, as some believe. No, he's just a man. Right. Just a man called by God. So they were critical of him. And I'm not sure that this was a surprise to Peter. Because in his testimony, he had similar concerns. Remember, he, we just read this. He said, when, when God said, well, what I've called clean, don't you call unclean, and you can eat of these unclean animals, what were once considered unclean. And he, and he said what? He said, not so, Lord. So even he gave opposition. Now, I would expect that he expected opposition from those he was sharing this as well. He knew his heritage, he had never eaten anything considered unclean in the law of Moses, and I'm sure he didn't expect those of the circumcision to be any different than he was in that regard. Now, after they had finished saying what they had to say to the apostle Peter, it was his turn to explain himself. And I love this because he didn't get all excited about it. He didn't get defensive. He didn't argue. He didn't get angry. He simply laid out for them the facts of what happened. And as he lays it out, he's communicating to them that what happened, what took place, was all of God and by God. It wasn't his choice, but it was God's choice. And praise God that God makes a choice for every one of us. He desires that none perish and all come to repentance. So what Peter is beginning to share with them is if you're trying to blame somebody for the salvation of the Gentiles, then you need to blame the Holy Spirit. It wasn't Peter. And he described this. He said it was a voice from heaven that said, Arise, Peter, kill and eat. We find that in verse 7, speaking of the voice of the Lord. In verse 12, it was the Holy Spirit that told me to go with them and told me not to doubt what he was doing. But the involvement of the Holy Spirit didn't end there. In verse 15, he said it was the Holy Spirit that, that fell upon them. But not only that, the Lord said, you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And it was God that gave them the gift of salvation as he did us that believe. And notice in verse 17, he, he said, who am I? Who am I? What a great question. Who am I that I should withstand God? Now, to their credit, these men of the circumcision, they listened to Peter with open hearts. And even though they seemed to stand against everything that they believed in their religious and cultural bias, they did accept that this was a work of the Holy Spirit. And God granted salvation not only to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles. 
So Peter's testifying that all this was done, all it was accomplished is a work of God. Seven times in these 18 verses, again, I'll go through them quickly. He saw a vision from where? From heaven. He heard a voice from heaven that he knew was the voice of the Lord. He said, the Spirit told me. The Holy Ghost fell upon them. He talks about the word of the Lord and a baptizing with the Holy Ghost. And then God giving them the gift. And finally, who am I to stand against God? So Peter, in repeated fashion here, he's pointing to the Lord, he's pointing to the Lord, he's pointing to the Lord, he's pointing to the work of the Holy Spirit. And at the heart of it, it was the Holy Spirit of God that stood against their cultural and religious biases of all this, this legalistic sect called the circumcision. And what God's Holy Spirit is doing is he's, he's breaking it all wide open. Same with us. The same with us. God had some hard ground to break in our hearts, didn't he? And I'm not just talking about hard-heartedness toward him, but a hard heart in general. And here's what I mean by that. When we become Christians or became Christians, most of us brought our into our Christian life, strong cultural background, religious background, personal biases into our relationship with God. Maybe a personal bias against the new birth. People argue sometimes, new birth, you born againers? Come on now. No, Jesus said you must be born again. And yet, I know before I came to Christ, it's like I had this personal bias against the new birth. Why? I didn't get it. I did not understand it. But when we come to Christ, what happens is we, we bring with us some of our upbringing, right? The way we were raised. We bring our religion. We bring our baggage. We bring our doubts. We bring with us any religious pain that we've experienced in the past. Maybe you were hurt in a church, by a church, by a Christian. Who knows? But we bring that in this relationship. We brought our indoctrination and our concepts of who we thought God was. We brought our rituals. I think back to very shortly after we came to Christ, in, or I came to Christ in 1995, we, we sat down with our pastor at the time, Pastor Ray Viola over at Koinonia Fellowship, and, and I knew nothing about the Christian faith other than Jesus saved me. And I guess that's really all I needed to know, but we had a bunch of questions. Things like, and he was so, so patient with, with us and so gracious, you know, what do you do with baptism? I'm a, I was, of course, of course uh, accustomed to infant baptism, and he explained baptism according to what the Word of God says. In funerals, and I mean, we went on and on with all kinds of questions, and he was just so wonderfully gracious to us and loving to us that we couldn't help but come back. We wanted to come back. But the point is that we brought a lot of stuff that has nothing to do with God, things that God isn't interested in keeping in our lives, but rather things that he wants to graciously, gently, and, and wonderfully remove from us. Things that kind of stand in the way of relationship. Things that we substitute for a relationship with God, like religious uh, experiences, rituals, and things like that. And I know there's a place for those at times, right? 
but things that actually stood between us rather than allowing us to enter fully into the beauty of a relationship with God. God wanted to remove those things, and I'm thankful that he does. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, it says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. And you know, when you think about that, that's how God looks at us, as new. All things have become new, and you know why? Because that's what we are. <laughs> He's made us brand new from the inside out by virtue of the new birth, a spiritual birth. And I know that on a regular basis, for some people are eaten up by guilt, by what they did, or who they were before coming to Christ. Maybe some of you are going through that right now, dealing with, with the past. Perhaps the enemy is, is dangling your past sin before you. And, you know, past sin could be this morning. Who knows? Right? Saying, you call yourself a Christian? But that's the voice of the enemy. The voice of our God says, behold, and make all things new. And maybe you're even reminded by another person what you did or who you were before coming to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And if so, then, then keep this verse, tuck it in your heart and believe it. You know, sometimes we think we need to ask God for forgiveness over and over and over and over again. But listen, if you're saved, if you're born again, your sin's been dealt with. It's been dealt with, and to ask God over and over to forgive you of something that you've already been forgiven of, it's unnecessary. In fact, it makes me wonder from God's perspective, I wonder if he's wondering what we're even talking about, because his forgiveness is so complete. The Word of God tells us this in Hebrews 10, verses 17 and 18, it says, and their sins and iniquities I will remember no more. Now, where remission of these is, there is no more offering from sin or for sin. Listen, don't beat yourself over, up over what took place in the past that's been forgiven and under the blood of Jesus Christ. It's under his blood. There is no more re remission, no more offering from sin or for sin. Why? Because it's already been done. The price has been paid. And now your life is a life of submission to Jesus Christ, and it's not a blood offering. So don't beat yourself up. You need not feel condemned. God gives us a fresh start, doesn't he? He gives a brand new beginning. And here's why. Because we needed one. We needed it. So if you're born again, you can rest assured that you are brand new. And you need not worry about who you once were. You know, oftentimes we hear of this thing called a witness protection plan, right? Where people are given a brand new identity, a new name, new identification that says they're no longer who they were, but now known as someone else. They're called someone different, but they're still the same person. Their character hasn't changed. But you know what? Jesus has given us his own witness protection plan, and it's for the saved. He protects you as a witness for him. How? Well, you know that no matter what happens to you, 
No matter what happens to you, you are secure in Jesus Christ. And when you leave this world, you know that you have a place in heaven. And he changes your identity not to disguise who you are, but to identify you as one of his. I find that glorious. And we no longer live lives for ourselves. We now live our lives for Christ. He's taken the old you and says goodbye, not in a physical sense, but in a spiritual sense. What's taking place here is the Bible says, he said, I'm going to give you a brand new heart. He gives us a brand new heart. So we've changed in that way. And our allegiance is now to God who saved us. And in many ways, you no longer have the desire to do the things you used to do. You no longer think the way you used to think. You no longer treat people like you once treated them because you're no longer who you once were. And, and, what, and to whose glory and to whose credit is it? Well, family, it's, it's the work of God's Holy Spirit in your life. And there's evidence of it, and there's a lot of it. Think about the change that God has made in your life and give all the glory, all the praise, all the honor to him for he alone is worthy. Didn't we just sing that? Thou art worthy, O Lord. Well, as Peter needed the Holy Spirit to, need, to lead and direct him and to confirm him, so do we. We need to pray we need to seek him for strength, for wisdom, for guidance, for clarity. But we must be certain that what we receive and what we hear is from God, just like Peter did. He could point to what took place in Caesarea, and he could say it was of, the God, of God's Holy Spirit. And when the, the Holy Spirit came upon the believers in Acts chapter 2, which is Pentecost, the multitude of people, they doubted and some said they're drunk. Well, but Peter spoke up. And he said this in chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. He said, but Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, ye men of Judea and all that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken unto my words. For these are not drunken as you suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day, but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. He said, he could point right to the scriptures, and he said, this is that which was already spoken of. This is what's taking place, spoken of in the past by the prophet Joel. So the question is, how can you and I know? How can we know what, that whatever is taking place is of God and of his Holy Spirit? Well, 1 John 4, verses 1 through 3 says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone into the world. Hereby know ye, are the, ye the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist where you have heard that it should come, and even now already is in the world. And sadly, many people are speak, seeking a spirit, but it isn't the Holy Spirit. Any activity that invokes any spirit other than the Holy Spirit of God, listen, it's a form of witchcraft and sorcery. 
You see the advertisement. Psychics, palm readers, horoscopes, all designed by the enemy to take your focus away from God and place your focus on the occult. And you know what? They're real. They're real. These things are an abomination to the Lord, which means detestable. You know, and as you look around, you see it. People have a fascination with the occult. It's everywhere. You see it in the books. You see it in the bookstores. You see it in the film world. You see it in video games that are designed with occult, occult themes to draw youngsters into a fascination with the, the, the occult. And you know what? It's packaged in a way that it looks like fun. But it's dangerous. And Jesus said this would happen in the last days as recorded in Matthew 24. He was asked by his disciples, what shall be the sign of thy coming and at the end of the world? And the first thing Jesus said was this, Matthew 24, verse 4, he said, take heed that no man deceive you. What's he suggesting here? There's a lot of deceivers in the world. Let no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and he shall deceive many. And if Jesus says, let no man deceive you, it means that we're capable of being deceived, isn't it? So he's saying, beware, take heed. Well, he had more to say about this. In verse 11 of the same chapter, and many false prophets shall arise and shall deceive many. And he speaks of false Christ, then false prophets. In the case, in case we didn't get those two warnings, he tells the third time. And we find in Matthew it says, if any man shall say unto thee, lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch, if it were possible, that they shall deceive the very elect. He's speaking of those that are saved. And we can look at this verse and we can write it off, can't we? Oh, we can say, oh yeah, sure, yeah, I'm saved, so I can't possibly be deceived. But if that's the assumption, we find it even in the church today. There are those that claim we must have, quote-unquote, experiences in church. Well, I want to experience the presence of Christ. That's what I want to experience. But Jesus is warning here against experiences, experiential Christianity and false religion. You see, he is the same yesterday today and forever. So the Holy Spirit doesn't check out. He's not on a paid leave of absence. He can perform the same signs and wonders today that he used to validate the work of the apostles, the prophets, and even Jesus himself. But the work of the enemy, it's a counterfeit. And if Jesus is to be believed, and he is, and he warned us that in the last days there would be a massive blinding spiritual deception, then we must believe him. When Jesus spoke, possibly deceiving the very elect, that's how strong what he says this, this delusion is and will continue to be. And it's, it's subtle. It's very subtle, sneaky, just like the, the, the serpent was in a garden. He didn't come with fangs exposed. He said, did God say that? Hinting, did God mean that? Is God withholding something from you? According to 2 Corinthians 
11.14, and no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Counterfeit. So we need to take this seriously, and we need to discern which spirit it is that we follow. Is it the Holy Spirit of God, or is it some deceiver? Is it some imitation? Well, how can we determine this? How can we determine if something is of the Lord or something of the enemy? Well, ask some questions. Whatever's taking place, will this bring me closer to Jesus? If the answer is yes, then you can say this is of the Holy Spirit of God because the Holy Spirit came to testify of Jesus. He never came to testify of himself. He came to testify of Jesus Christ. If it leads you away from Jesus, write it off. Will this, whatever it is, lead someone astray? Will it stumble someone? Will it be a bad example of Christ's likeness? If it is a bad example, stay away. Will this, whatever it is, be a good witness for Christ? See, these all have to be yeses, except stumbling someone. You don't want to stumble someone. But here's another one. Is participation going to be in obedience or disobedience to God's word? See, we have to weigh everything against the scriptures. Just like Peter said, this is that which the prophet Joel spoke of. Will it bring glory to God? Will it grieve the Holy Spirit of God? And could it ultimately bring harm to me? You see, God never wants to harm you. He's a God that loves you and he cares about you. Will whatever this thing is, was it, would it cause me to be blameless before the Lord? Will it contradict Scripture or be supported with a scriptural backing? And you know what, family? It's our job to find out. It's our job to research this. In fact, we can know it. We can understand it if we read and study our Bibles. It's all here. In fact, in Acts chapter 17, verse 11, it says, These were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word of God with all readiness of mind. Okay, they heard it, they received it, and then they did something else. They searched the Scriptures daily whether those things were so. Did they line up with the word of God? That's what they researched. That's what we must do as well. So back to Acts chapter 11. Peter in his passage, he testified to the work of the Holy Spirit. He depended on the work of the Holy Spirit and he was led by God's Holy Spirit. And we see family today, and I think you would agree with me, that we live in perilous times. These are hard days. We see the influences of evil all around us. You've, you've heard of good being called evil and evil being called good. And in the name of human rights, we do some really, really, really foolish things. Just this past week, the Food and Drug Administration approved the abortion pill, Mifepristone. And they've approved it to be distributed and dispensed in pharmacies. 
the two largest pharmacies in the United States, Walgreens and CVS, have announced plans to participate. Because people are saying it's a good thing. It's not a good thing. I can't help but think if this harms a baby, couldn't it harm a mother? It's harming life, period. Something that God has created. Now making it available. Our administration said, well, now that we've overturned Roe versus Wade, we're going to do something different. We'll put it in a pill. We need God's Holy Spirit, family. We need spiritual discernment in the days in which we live. We need spiritual strength. We need spiritual stamina. We need spiritual guidance so that we can discern the signs of the times and do all that we can do to stand. And that is to stand for truth, to stand for righteousness, and be unwavering in our faith so that the light of Christ shines forth from us. This is what the world needs. We need the light of Christ to shine forth from us, that they would see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. The light needs to be shining brightly in an ever-darkening world. I want to close with Peter's comment that we find in verse 17. You know, we've seen this contentious group challenging Peter who testify that this work that was done in saving the Gentiles was of God's Holy Spirit. And he finishes saying this, who was I that I could withstand God? Or who was I that I could stand in God's way? In other words, it's all God's work. It's all God's work, and his critics, they had no answer. Who was I that I could withstand God? Let me ask this question. Any person can resist God, but can you resist God and win? I don't think so. Think back to Pharaoh when the children of Israel were held captive in Egypt for so long. Pharaoh, the, the most powerful man in the world at the time, he learned that lesson. God said, let my people go. But Pharaoh, he wasn't interested. He enjoyed his slave labor. But guess what? He ended up letting God's people go. Who can resist God and win? And maybe Peter made this, this statement in the context of the work of the Holy Spirit. And, he, and the point he's making to these Christians is they are misguided but growing in this. It's important we don't find ourselves resisting God's work by elevating our personal biases above the work of the Holy Spirit of God. And we can have personal biases, can't we? We cannot allow our own personal biases, and there's things I talked about earlier that we've brought into our relationship with God. But we can't allow biases to get in the way and not being able to be used by Him. And we certainly can't allow our personal biases to get in the way of someone's salvation. We are called to represent God himself at this critical time in human history, and it is critical. God is shaking this world, and he wants to shake us up too. We are called to represent the Lord, 
And we can't afford to put the Holy Spirit into a a me-shaped box based on what I think that he should do or how he should operate. Otherwise, what am I doing? I'm playing Holy Spirit. And I don't want to do that. I believe with all my heart we need to let the Holy Spirit be the Holy Spirit and the, and the third person of the Holy Trinity and not stand in His way. And I believe that the gifts of the Holy Spirit, I believe in them. I believe that they are for today, absolutely. And we need to exercise them within the framework of the Scriptures. And we could, let's face it, we could spend a month or longer studying the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But, but as for today, I, I just want to suggest and encourage you this way. Be open to what God's Holy Spirit has for you. Peter was, and look what happened. Be open. Be discerning. Lord, help us to be more open to the work of your Spirit in our lives than ever before, that there would be fruit in our submission to you. You see, family, we are called to represent the kingdom of God in a time such as this. And it is a very, very strategic time in human history. And with the world in the condition it's in today, there's an incredible need for God's people to be empowered, to be sensitive, to be open, and willing to be used by God in a way that He would choose to use you. Are you willing to allow God's Holy Spirit to lead you in ways you never thought possible? Are you willing to do that? Peter was willing, wasn't he? He was willing to go beyond the cultural and religious norms of that time to be used by the Spirit of God. And in his willingness, what do we find? We find the fruit of his submission to God's Holy Spirit, and it is the salvation of the Gentiles. And I am so thankful for that day that those Gentiles got saved because I'm here today, you're here today. Saved by the same Holy Spirit of God, by the same gospel, in the same way. It's all God's work. But the question, are you willing? Are you willing to say, yes, God, use me. Lead me, empower me, strengthen me by your Holy Spirit. Are you willing? Or have you been resisting his work in you or even through you? And there's reasons for that, aren't there? It could be a sin matter that needs to be dealt with. You see, God wants us to be under the blood of Christ, that if there's anything that you've been holding back from him, understand this, that he's not using you like he'd like to use you. He wants to use you. Is it a matter of sin? Well, there's a solution to that. Confess it and repent. Praise God he gives us that privilege. Isn't it a privilege? Or maybe you're holding back because of of fear. I don't know what God's going to do. It's okay. You don't need to. He knows what he's doing. I'm afraid of what he might do. He only has good for you. Maybe uncertainty. I don't know where this is going to lead. Do you think Peter understood that completely? I don't think so. And we may not understand it completely, but that's okay. We're called to walk by faith and not by sight, aren't we? There's nothing to be afraid of. God's plans for you are always good. His thoughts are good toward you. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, and their thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. 
His thoughts toward you are always good. Always. And you know what? There's a lot of thoughts. A lot of good thoughts. How many? Well, the Scriptures tell us. Psalm 139, verses 17 and 18, it says, How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. (laughs) That's how many there are. More than the sand. And I've shared this with you before. I've picked up a handful of sand before, and I, I could not, I would not, I would not take the time to count them out. I'd be counting them for the rest of my life. It's just one handful. The scriptures say his thoughts, which are good thoughts, are more than the sand. What an amazing God. God, you mean in spite of me and the things I've done, your thoughts are still good toward me? He would say, yes. In spite of what I've done, your thoughts, your heart toward me, is it still good? Is it still the same? Yes. I still love you. You can't change my love for you by what you do or what you don't do. I'm so grateful that God's love never changes, aren't you? So a couple of questions. We'll just wrap up here. You know, we're talking about resisting the Holy Spirit of God and the gratitude that I have for people like the Apostle Peter. And we're also talking about the fruit of submission. There's good work being done when we submit ourselves to the Lord. But a question is this, have you resisted the baptism with the Holy Spirit? Acts chapter 2, we talked about this just a little bit ago. The empowering, God says, I will send my Spirit upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Have you received the fullness of God's power upon you? And you know what? It's available. It's available, and all we need to do is ask him. If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more, I love that, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those that perform well? No, that ask. Ask. Just ask. And we can pray about that. After after the the service is concluded, come on up and we'll pray and and ask God to give you the the fullness, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The apostles needed that, didn't they? We need it too. We need it too, especially in the days in which we live. And second question, have you resisted coming to Christ for salvation? I mean, that's a key thing. I resisted for 38 years. In the last few years were very difficult because God was working in my heart and I didn't want him to work in my heart. And I fought against him. But who can resist God and win? God wins. And you know what? He won my heart. And he did it through his love. He drew me by cords of love. And that's how he brings us to himself. I don't know of anybody that got beat into submission by God. It's we RSVP to his invitation. Have you responded to come to him and receive forgiveness of sin? But you know, it's, 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 it, it's a wonderful thing, but it's more than that. It's an invitation into a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, that's only possible by receiving him into your heart and receiving forgiveness of sin and submitting your life 
to him and to his lordship. Believing that, yes, Jesus laid his life down on a cross because a price had to be paid for sin. And I'm grateful I didn't have to pay for my sin because I could never pay for it. I'd still be trying and trying and trying. But Jesus paid the price that none of us could ever pay through his death and through his shed blood on that cross in Calvary. And he was placed in a cold, dark tomb. But you know what? Three days later, he rose from the dead. He's alive. And I'm alive because of him. I have a new life. If any man be in Christ, I shared this verse earlier, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. And if there's anyone in need of a a newness in your life, a fresh start, today, the Bible says, is the day of salvation. So would you pray with me if you'd like to receive Christ today, today, that you would know that you know that you know when you breathe your last here, you're heaven bound. And you know what? It all comes from the heart. It has to come from the heart. It's not just something I think about, something I'd like to do. It's something that God has stirred in your heart. And he knows the difference. He knows what's in here. And he knows what's in here. And he wants to bring the two of them together so that you come to Christ. Father, I thank you for your son Jesus who died, was buried, and rose again according to the scriptures. You said it would happen, and it's happened. And I believe in you, Jesus. I believe you are the Son of God and God the Son that laid your life down on a cross over 2,000 years ago with me in mind. I ask you to please forgive me of all the wrong I've done, all my sin I place before you. And I know that when you died and been glad you poured your blood out to cleanse me of all of my sin, I receive that now. I receive that cleansing. I ask you to please, please inhabit my heart that I would know that I know that I know that I'm yours forevermore. I come to you now humbly with love and gratitude for all that you've done in me and looking forward to all that you will do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.